Hey, everybody. It's Mike Carlson from Podcast the Ride. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott Gairdner. Hello. And Jason Sheridan. Hey. And we've got a little announcement. We sure do. Yep. We're launching our new podcast on an app called Spoke to give Spoke. you three exclusive episodes. Can you believe it? Three. I can't. Yeah. Don't don't believe it, but it's true. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. Well, how does that work, though? Well, I'm going to explain. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. So they're all grouped by topics or themes is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for figuring that out. Thank mm-hmm. you. I mean, you could try like a playlist that's uh, like about music being decoded when it's playlists with clips about unpacking and analyzing and figuring out how people make songs and what. why are they so cool, you know? They also have one uh, called Spoke's Perpetually Single Playlist, dedicated to podcasts about relationships, or lack thereof, in my case. Sure, Jason, don't put yourself down. I want to, I want to, all right. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of things is what we're trying to say, and Spoke has, like, fun exclusive content from Feral, like our podcast. Uh, So you definitely don't want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now, free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Podcast the Ride's exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash podcast the ride. That's the address. Uh, Check it out. Spoke. It's time to spoke. Yeah, we're spoken. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable, you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. How about that? Uh, Thank you very much for listening. My theme music there, that's a band called Les Blanks. Check out lesblanks.com for music. Buy their stuff. Uh, if you haven't listened to the show before, I talk to really cool people about the things that are happening in our world and how it relates. And today I talk to, and you know what I want to say about my show? Gosh darn it. I don't think there's, there's a lot of people talking about Orangey. I don't say his name, 45. Uh, but I talk to a lot of these 60s folk who lived through the protest and I talked to a wide variety of people but today I speak with Judy Gumbo and she was uh, is an activist and she was with the yippies in the 60s and she I've talked to a lot of people from that era and I not to hurt any feelings but she's the best <laughs> I just turned into orangey she's the best there's nobody better but I really, I it, this is such a great conversation I have with her, and so educational and inspiring, and uh, I don't want to ruin any of it. I was going to say something she says, but why would I do that? Because you're going to listen to her in a moment. Um, but the one thing I think is important that she talked about, and I think that I do want to say this, just to, is that we need to have humor about what is going on, and I think that's so important, because I feel like I've done a lot of these intros, and I've been a sourpuss, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've been a sourpuss. But we need to be laughing at these motherfuckers, and we need to be mocking them, because it will drive them crazy, and it'll keep us sane. Because uh, if you stew and you're negative, as you know, I can be a pessimist. I, uh, you know, I, I've not to brag. I've had a certain kind of life that uh, I, uh, I got beat up a lot, and so it, it's molded my view of the world. As uh, I drive my wife crazy, because like I'll, I'll. Like at our old apartment, uh, we'd get out of the car and I'd be like, hey, there's a staircase there. You got to watch out. You know, somebody could be hiding in there. There's somebody. And then there's the entranceway to the basement. There's, you know, that's a place for people. Like I see danger I because that's how I got trained as a, as a kid. I had to look out and be like, <laughs> I had to, I, you have to be alert when not you, when you're getting beat up at your house and at school. You know, there was no safe place for me. 
But speaking of safe, uh, you know what's safe? You know what's safe is uh, distilled jeans. Distilled jeans are safe. That's spelled D-S-T-T-L-D. Distilledjeans.com is a great place to go buy jeans because you know jeans are uh, they're hard to find the perfect pair these days, and you don't want to you don't want to spend a lot of money. Well, distilled jeans, you can go online, you get these great jeans. They use top quality denim, like all the big fancy jean companies, but they start under you know they start around seventy dollars. You you know you don't you don't have to spend a ton of money. Distilled jeans, D S T L D. That's my ad. I have advertisers. I'm moving in the world. I have people who want me to say their name for money. That knows that that I'm somebody now. <laughs> I don't. I'm really amped up because this conversation with Judy is great, and we're going to get into it in one second. I just want to plug one other, two other things. First of all, write a review of the show. Go to iTunes, review it, like it. That helps me out. Also, I have another podcast on 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 Feral Audio called. Uh, Afterbirth, we do it bi-weekly. Uh, I do it with my wife, and we talk about parenting, and we have comedians and funny people on, and we talk about uh, you know how we once were free and enjoyed life, and now that we're parents and we don't have sex. <laughs> no, it's not. It's about it's about all of it, the beauty of uh, parenting, and but uh, your life changes. So we talk about that and we have fun with it. Uh, and uh, go to my website, themattdwyer.com. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, don't follow me on Instagram because I'm private. I have pictures of my daughter on there, and I don't want creeps looking at it, so don't try. Uh, so that being said, I just want to get right into this conversation with Judy Gumbo. She's fantastic. Ah, I love her so much. We live in a time of uh, plenty of false facts. It's really enjoyable. Exactly. I mean, it's it's like nobody gives a shit anymore, one way or the other. <laughs> do you think? Do you think that? Because uh, I was, I go back and forth with Donald Trump, and I, where I think like, oh, he's crazy, and then I think, I remember that he was a protege of Roy Cohn, or a, a, that that was his mentor, and I think Bannon and Miller are very similar in the way where they just are like, just throw as much crazy out there and just keep everyone guessing what is what do you what is your opinion on that i think that um i don't think that trump is crazy in the uh clinical definition of the word i go along with uh, those people who say that he isn't i i don't know if you i have a whole sort of long discussion on my uh, facebook page ex- about exactly that but i do think that he is a he reminds me a lot of my three-year-old grandson, only my grandson is much more articulate than <laughs> Trump is and, and less demanding. Uh, I mean, he really, he, he, so I think he's an extraordinarily dangerous person. I am astounded, astounded and dismayed at the level at which he's actually been able to surround himself with people uh, who do what he wants but actually get it done. I was hoping when he first came into office that he wouldn't be able to get anything done. Uh, and that's why I think that opposition to him is so important because he has demonstrated an ability to uh, you know, implement all kinds of evil in all kinds of different places, uh, which we obviously have to stand up to. Yeah, I was reading this thing yesterday where this gentleman was saying that you know, he believes that the more we oppose in an odd way, the more power he, he continues to get. And it I don't know what I think of that, but it it does seem like he's getting what he wants. And it and I don't see it coming to an end any in the near future. Oh, I agree with that. But I don't think I agree with whoever it was who said the more power he gets, because um, if you look at history the, and, the, and the history of resistance movements, that is actually not what they show. They take the, the, our opposition to the Vietnam War as a great example. 
uh, we opposed it. We continued to oppose it. And uh, we know for a fact now from FBI files that Nixon was absolutely freaked out by it and was provoked into uh, reactions that actually ended up ending the war. I believe that our movement was successful, very successful, in terms of some of the specific goals that we advocated, such as ending the war uh, and ending the draft. Others and 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 uh, uh, generating a movement for all different kinds of oppressed groups that essentially looked at the successes that we had, whether it was bl- black liberation or women's liberation or gay and what we called at the time gay and lesbian liberation. All the liberation movements kind of grew out of two things. They grew out of the civil rights movement, which was successful, and they grew out of the uh, anti-war movement. So I really am a strong advocate of resistance on all fronts. And I don't think it gives Trump more power. Uh, I, I agree with you. And I'm. it is moving and encouraging to see the level that people have come out to fight against him. Um, yeah, absolutely. And especially if you think of who are the people who are involved. So many of them, it's not us or my generation. I mean, we're there. But the vast majority of people who are part of the opposition to Trump and his policies and his appointees are uh, people of millennial and younger. Yeah. Do you find it frustrating? Because this is something that I... uh... Because I've interviewed a lot of people, uh, you know, I've uh, Mark Rudd and uh, other dudes like uh, Wayne Kramer, all who who were there at the '68 convention, and to see that uh, a lot of the things that you individuals fought for at, that were sort of like back in like with the abortion and all these things, it's like I feel like we've jumped back to to pre that era in in a lot of ways with what the things that you your people stood for? Well, I mean, I was certainly at the 68 convention. I thought it was, the more I look back on it, the more I say to myself how fabulous it was. Even with the tear gas and the National Guard, we were able to really demonstrate that, uh, especially that that, that opposing uh, the powers that be with humor, like running a pig for president, that was something that, Right. That was something that uh, inserted itself into the consciousness of many. Now, I think that I mean, I can see why people would say that, uh, well, we've just jumped back into the 1950s uh, and and early 60s. uh, But I think that that's actually a little bit superficial. Yes, if you look on the surface, it appears that we have. But like I say, we had no the mass-based movement that we had back in the days of Chicago 68 was nothing compared to the mass-based movement that we have here and have now. And one of the things I think that has absolutely contributed to that is social media. In other words, when something happened, when we wanted a demonstration to happen, what did we do? Telephone trees and underground, so-called underground newspapers that came out once a week, right? Now it, everything is instantaneous and a much larger mass of people can be mobilized. So I think while, yes, superficially it may look like that's what is being uh, advocated, um, I don't think that that is I – think, I think it's superficial. However, I also think that uh, uh, we, the, um, the, the identity-focused uh, movements – uh, have I really, and this I, I agree with all the people who are saying this, that we really did neglect and in some way diss white working class uh, men who are looking to go back to the 50s because that's what they knew and that's what's given security, security, financial and emotional. And I think we we left that up to the more sectarian uh, groups like, uh, uh, for example, the, some of the Maoist groups, the people to organize the working class. And I personally think that was a mistake. I don't know that we could have done anything else, but I do, uh, from the point of view of, you know, of history, I kind of regret that we weren't able to see this aspect of our privilege. Uh, and, and when you say that, you mean like what, what current, the, the voting base for who elected Donald Trump? Is that exactly? That's exactly right. The voting base, which include which, which included, uh, you know, a large, uh, uh, not a large majority, but a majority of women, is my understanding. 
Yeah. So why? So you have to ask yourself, why aren't they acting in their own interests? And the answer is, from their point of view, miseducated as it may be, mis- and I'll say what I mean by that in a second, they, they are acting from their own point of view. I think something else that happened is during the 60s, uh, the people who became opposed to us or who, who would become opposed to us, that they really uh, decided, okay, this 60s movement is a threat. And from that moment on, they began to form their think tanks and their strategies. And as a result, they uh, produced people like Bannon. Bannon is quoting, uh, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows in some of his stuff. I mean, he is very familiar with what we did and what we came out of. And he's using it, uh, if I don't want to sound paranoid, but I I do think that he is uh, uh, strategically using us against us. And that 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 has been going on, not Bannon. But the but the right wing attack on the '60s has been going on since uh, basically since the civil rights movement, and people are now believing it, or the people who voted for Trump. Yeah, they have co-opted this, the uh, calling it a revolution when it's really a, just a absolute destruction of many of the institutions and thought that have kept us, I don't know, breathing clean air and being free yes no absolutely and and freedom you know we're we're at a janice joplin moment right freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose yeah it's i mean i feel like our system in general and i've i've interviewed a uh, poverty activist who lives in ohio and in like among rust belt people and she says that a lot of them voted for him because because I asked, I was like, don't we know, don't they know that he's full of shit? Because, you know, working class people have a great sense of of bullshit. And she's like, yeah, they do. But they just felt like they had no, they were just like, well, nothing else has worked up to now. So what what the hell? Let's just try this. And that, that, I think she's right. I think she's right. Um, and um, we'll, you know, we'll, we're, we get to live with the consequences, I think. <laughs> I, there's an element with uh, that. Uh, and I say this with hesitance because I'm a white male, but it, it, the, I, I, when everyone's like, oh, we forgot about the poor you know these poor people in these areas and but a lot of it's white like we forgot about the poor white people and i was like haven't we ignored poverty within our cities in 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 african-american communities for over a hundred years but suddenly when it's a bunch of white people who show outrage we're all like oh my god we gotta we gotta do something right well that's why it's called racism I mean, yes, of course we have. And we, you know, we see, on the other hand, I do know that there is a lot of ongoing organizing going on in the African-American community. A lot of it, um, you know, anti-police organizing, poverty stuff. And a lot, and, and what's interesting is that the influence of the Black Panther Party is still very uh much in terms of the programs that they that they put forward, and also I think the uh, Black Panther Party ten point uh, platform and program where they actually laid out a vision. A lot of that is has is part of the thinking of uh, a a, lo- a number of people in the African American community. At the same time, there is this totally the pro- problem of poverty, racism, black on black violence. There's no no question that all that exists. You can't deny that. Yeah, and it it from it seems as if Donald Trump wants to give. I hate that I just used his name. I try not to. I know, me too. I prefer to call him Orangey. That's my Orangey or forty five are my two go tos for him. Yeah, yeah. But but I feel like he is. Uh, Mine are not printable or printable or, or sayable on the radio. But go ahead. Oh, you can say fuck here. <laughs> oh, fuck him then. <laughs> yeah, you could say whatever. That man is a fucking dick. How about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the other thing I find myself tweeting at him, and I'm like, I know he's not going to read this, but it sure feels good to call him a fucking cock. <laughs> Just like, right. To well, know that- that's right. That's right. And I think that, uh, that see, it's interesting when you th- when we think about protest, that that 
individually makes you feel good. And as you say, it's not going to get to him. You're not, it's not like you're Stephen Colbert or Samantha Bee or one of the you know people who actually has uh, that broad media outlet. But at the, I think the point about feeling good, in other words, feeling empowered is a very important piece of all the protest movements. Absolutely. You know, so so if there was a way to get your individual anger and uh, combined with with uh, tactical tactics and strategy to uh, if 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 a lot of people could do that and feel that, then we'd be in great shape or better shape, I think. Yeah, I just I tr- truly worry that I mean we're fifty days in, give or take, and. Uh, the damage that has already been done and the potential damage that is going to be very difficult to reverse uh, is I, I'm uh, and people are like, we just got to get to 2018. I'm like, okay, I hope we can get there without a yeah. major, because I feel like they are planting the seeds for they're cultivating some kind of conflict, whether it be terrorist or otherwise. Well, yeah. I mean, they they are certainly doing that. And if there is an external attack on this country, or an attack from external, or even uh, you know, right wing, uh, ultra right uh, internal forces, they will use that as an excuse for repression. No question. I'm not as convinced, I think, as you are, about the staying power of what he's done so far. Uh, in other words, and, and again, that comes from my perhaps naive faith in the in in the buildup of resistance. I I think I mean on, on, he's had to backtrack some on some of his major issues, but that but strategically, then they come around with another uh, option that is perhaps not quite as bad, but um, but certainly very very bad. I don't you know I used to have a crystal ball about the future. Uh, I had this alternate persona, Madame Gumbo, and she would read tarot cards and look into her crystal ball and see what was going on. I've lost that. I just have no, everything is gray and misty. I really don't know. Uh, I prefer to put my faith in resistance and opposition, but it's a question of faith. It's not a question of actual strategic prediction. Right. I just, I used to think that the Republicans were biding their time to get what they wanted, and then they were going to toss him under the bus. But now, I, from watching them, I feel like they don't give a shit. <laughs> they, like, they're getting more than they want, and I don't think they're going to turn on him. In fact, they've defended him, and it seems like most of them fight for him and don't care that I truly believe he colluded with Russia, and I don't think they give a fuck about that either. I know. It's kind of amazing. The former boogeyman of the entire country, right, the Russian communists, are now becoming becoming a hero. That, to me, is like uh, uh, absurd history at its most absurd. But I also think that um, that Trump, excuse me for you know using that name. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's the only thing I'll beep out is when we say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not completely sure. Again, that he is. Uh, that the, I put it this way: I am sure that the Republican Party is in throes of uh, disarray. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that is going on, and there's a lot of backbiting and, and, and going. I don't know exactly, but I, I'm, you know, from everything I pick up from the media, that 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 tendency is also going on. And I, I, I hate to think that I, I mean, that I, that John McCain is in some way a good guy, but in, in some way he is. So um, uh, I, there's a lot of internal contradictions within the Republicans. Whether that will bear fruit or not, I'm I'm not so sure. Yeah, I just I go back to the whole. They've always kind of they've always lied. I mean, right. fucking uh, George W. Bush, they lied to get us into Iraq. It's like so I'm like they're gonna. They're... They lied to get us into Vietnam. Yeah. Remember the Gulf of Tonkin. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, it's, I, and I feel like Donald Trump embodies, he is what that party has always been about. It's just they never were that loud about it, but they have always been racist, sexist, and hateful. Right, that's right, that's right. But remember, Trump is above all a performer. Yeah. And I and, and it's important to kind of look at him. He's performing other people's lines, uh, and he's a combination of performing other people's lines and acting on his own bizarre uh, childlike instincts. 
you know, I mean, and, and, and it's a back and forth between the two. I think that in terms of authenticity and trust, though, you always have to be uh, uh, careful about whether you trust the sources that you read. In other words, what, if you have an overall pessimistic perspective, I think you have to ask yourself, in whose interest is that? Who benefits from us having a, pen, a pessimistic perspective? That's a question that we used to ask in the 60s a lot. Who benefits? I think you have to ask that now. Who benefits? And then from there, you can you can step back a little, be a little bit more objective, and say, "All right, this this is uh, this does make sense, or this fits with my analysis." Uh, and then uh, and and then, and, but this does not. I think we really have to be skeptical. Very, we have to sort of uh, push all our skeptic buttons. Yeah, that's a great point, and I feel. Uh, and I tried, and my wife is very uh, a very skeptic person, and in and. So uh, I think we balance each other out in that regard. And I notice, I feel like people are desperate for this to end and for him to be kicked out. And I feel like there's a, just from things I see on social media, people will post articles that are not from a good source. And it happens. Right. And it, and I'm always, I always try to call it out in a very polite way, but it's like, I feel like we are aware that these sites exist and we're not... We need to really be persistent because it's everything that we put out is so crucial right now for us to right. yeah. No, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, and and uh, there, you know, there are some sites that let us know, but I, I personally feel so overwhelmed by the barrage of information that's constantly coming in that, uh, like I say, it's really important, at least for me, to step back a little and say, all right, is this is this actually credible? And if so, and then who benefits from my believing it or disbelieving it? I think that's a great uh, way to approach it. And I've never heard that before. And I'm surprised because I've um, read it. I would say I'm pretty well informed about your, the, the work that you did and the people did in the sixties. And, but that's a, and I, I hope that, begins to spread again because that's a very hopeful and helpful point of view to have. Well, you know, I think that if we lose hope, then we've lost. Right. Now, when you say too, because it is easy to get overwhelmed right now, and I find like there's days I just got to check out because I'll, like yesterday, I was just depressed. I read something first thing in the morning. I was like, well, but it's like, you know, it's hard not to. What do you, what do you how do you deal with it? Um, I do my best to look for the funny stuff. In other words, the other day, uh, I think it was yesterday, the day before, apparently Sean Spicer started his uh, press conference with his American flag pin upside down. Yeah. And, and I wrote, I put it on Facebook. I said, you know, the Vietnam vets uh, told us, taught us that this was a symbol of distress. What does this really mean with Spicer? <laughs> What's the subliminal message? Yeah. So, yeah so, so if I can find something that, I, that is amusing, then that is, that is helpful. It's not to say I don't get depressed. I mean, I do, but I, I, I do my best to recognize it and then look for the humor in some, I, either in what I'm getting depressed about or something else. Maybe that's denial. I don't know, but uh, it helps me maintain a more optimistic and fight back attitude. Do you? Did you ever think with? Because you, I mean, you went through Nixon. Which do you? First of all, do you find a comparison? A lot of people compare Trump to Nixon. Do you? Do you see the connection, or what's your take on that? I think Nixon was a pussycat compared to Trump. <laughs> That's a, that's a, yeah, I feel he's far worse as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Nixon gave us the, which, of course, Trump is going to take apart, the EPA. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I think I always thought of him as evil, and I think he was evil, but even, even in the context of his evil, he managed to do some good. I see nothing at this point in Trump that, uh, 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 
you know, that allows that to happen. We'll see. You know, I, you know, again, the long view of history is really amazing because you look back and you say, oh, my God, I really hated, like Nixon, I really hated this guy. And I know that he was paranoid and I know that he freaked out. And I know that J. Edgar Hoover was talking to him about me and about all my, my, my cohort uh, and that, and, and, and that the, the, the paranoia that, and also, I also know that Hoover uh, stood up to Nixon on some of Nixon's more extreme things that, that Nixon wanted Hoover to do, like illegal wiretapping. And Hoover actually, Hoover, another hated evil genius, uh, stood up to Nixon So that the, in terms of contradictions in the administration. But I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that I've mellowed any on Nixon and the, the terrible, uh, terrible uh, killing and damage that he did in Vietnam. No, I have not mellowed on that one iota. But from the long view of history, I can also see that, you know, that compared to Trump, he was a pussycat. Yeah, I don't think uh, Donnie or Bannon would hesitate to lose lives for their benefit. And that's terrifying. Like, I think they have no empathy at all about anything. I, no, I agree. That's why they're they're talking about uh, you know in order to make the 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 white working class aggrieved people happy. They're talking about completely cutting all benefits or many many benefits to the poor through that are now government uh, approved. Did you did you ever think this is where we would? Did you ever did you see it coming to this? Did you or or did you ever think that this would America would end up in this position? Um, not really, no. Uh, I mean, I was always concerned about the rise of ultra-right movements, uh, you know, white nationalist movements. I was concerned about that. But uh, I have, I had, and, and I was concerned about the redistricting, but it's like I didn't put the pieces together well enough to be able to say, oh, you know, this is the type of thing that actually could happen, that an election, I mean, you know, you could say it was stolen. I think it was in some ways stolen, but it is what it is. What, I, what, what really concerns me is the way people are accepting it. Yeah. I see, when I see journalists, like, joking and with Spicer, I'm like, no, <laughs> like, do not, do not buddy up with this guy. Don't even, I don't think that guy should get a pass ever. Right, but but that's what I mean. People are people are now buying into the fact that Trump is president, that Spicer is uh, a press secretary. They're, they're 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 accepting it, or some people are. Some people in the, especially I would say in the media establishment. I have no idea what's going on. For example, uh, I, I mean, I only have like inklings of what's going on within the federal bureaucracy, where there are a bunch of rebellions, and I, we know, of course, that people, are, uh, especially women, it, with, with women in the lead are taking the lead in resistance demonstrations. So, uh, you know, you could say that, you know, Mao Zedong, another not such a nice guy as it turned out, um, uh, talked about exacerbating the contradictions. Maybe that's what's going on. Uh, and if that's true, uh, at least Mao's analysis was that that would end, end, end up uh, with a revolution. Who I don't know, you know, like I said, my crystal ball is clouded. Yeah, it's. Uh, do you do you feel like the media is doing a good job with with this? Uh, it's again, it depends which media. I guess I mean like the the main important good ones. <laughs> like I well I I'm going, sorry go ahead. Oh, I just I like I subscribe to the New York Times and the Washington Post, and then I will check out various magazines and stuff. But I a lot you know I because I feel like they're the standards, and I hope that they're mostly I think they're reliable for the most part I, I agree I, I think that as long as Trump can, uh, that man continues to talk about the, the lying New York Times and the lying Washington Post that, that's going to put that's going to fire up the Times and the Post to uh, be oppositional and I've noticed a nicely uh, what shall we call left liberal swing to both of those newspapers uh, but I think that if Trump calls off that war then I am concerned that, that that because you know the 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 sad thing is that capitalism, i.e., profit, won. 
and that papers are becoming less and less profitable because of the advent of social media. So they have to do things that will keep their advertising base. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, at this point, I put m more of my faith in Stephen Colbert and Samantha Bee uh, than in some sense to, to be oppositional and to speak their minds than I do with the Times and the Post. Although I'm grateful at the same time that the Times and the Post are where they are at the moment. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily predicting that they will remain in that oppositional mode. Yeah, you, br you bring up an interesting point because I do think... Uh, comedy has been one of the th things s making this tolerable, <laughs> but also really digging into him. And uh, and Colbert and Samantha B are great examples of that. Well, that's where I get my. I think I get my best news from, from there. My the news that is most uh, uh, appealing to me, and that I can actually uh, talk to other people about. Uh, and besides, remember, I'm a yippie, right? I'm a former yippie. So to me, comedy and humor is the is the best way to reach a mass audience. And you can't give that to the Times or the Post, really. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because there was a lot of there's. I can only think of one uh, activist right now who uses theater and humor, and I'm I'm not sure if you're aware of him. I actually have interviewed him several times. This guy, Doug Mesner who started uh, the uh, Satanic Temple, I, I believe it's, and he does, he did the, I, you may have heard a few years ago, he did this pink mass where he turned Reverend Phelps of the Westboro Baptist Church, he turned his mother gay in the afterlife. And, <laughs> That's great. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. And anytime they put up like, uh, like the Ten Commandments in, in, a, in a government building, he's like, oh great, well I have this Satanic statue, we should put this up too. Like he's just... <laughs> And he's he's using theater and humor because he's like I don't believe in the devil I don't believe in God like it's it's all silly <laughs> it's like right but it's like no, that, go ahead no I was just gonna say that that makes um, a lot of sense to me I don't know him but that makes a lot of sense to me but I also uh, let's look at the uh, pussy hats right the pussy hats at the women's march were a completely yippy act they took something that that man said and turned it against him. By, by making hats that was, you know, it's like, don't grab my pussy, you sexist pig. I mean, that was the message. It turned, it, and, and it was a mass message that you used something that, that the man said and turned it uh, completely around. And that was a very yippee act, I thought. You know, what's amazing, too, is because the right often tries to co-opt, because they had a hat for some rally post. It was like, I don't know what color it was, but it was like the pussy hat, but it wasn't pink but they just get they have they can't pull off anything humorous they right bomb right they it's no they have no sense of, they they that, that is one of the main differences between them and us is that they tend to have no sense of humor and you know i wore, <laughs> i i wore my i wore my pussy head around um uh berkeley where i live and also um maryland where i was um uh for visiting for a while uh, and people, if you don't come there, they, they'd say to me, nice hat, they'd give me a thumbs up. It was like it became a message, a political message that lasted well beyond the actual event. That's, uh, yeah, speaking of Berkeley, because that reminded me of, the, you've, there's been a lot of uh, I don't, t the tension of the free speech up there with uh, uh, Christ, thankfully, I just... Right, Milo Yiannopoulos, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, someone like that. Which, uh, you're, his 15 minutes is up. <laughs> it's like, and good riddance, you fucking asshole. But uh, what was the what was the the vibe, because vibe in Berkeley during that... Because uh, I, I had my suspicions about the violence, because as you know, in, in the 60s, because you were in Chicago in 68, was there not police, undercover police, uh, stoking protesters, or am I insane? Uh, no, you're not insane, and yes, there was. I mean, I remember them, some of them well, and I can, you know, talk for five minutes on the police uh, in, in Chicago, the undercover police in Chicago and what they did um, and where it came from and all that stuff. But I'd love to hear I, it. If it. Well, um, let, let me answer the first question, then we can get back to that if you like. I think that in this case, 
and this is an issue that is very uh, uh, it's it, it, it's fraught. The the violence that took place, which was uh, trashing, and I think one thing, one something was burned, came specifically from a group of anarchists called Black Bloc, and I think the issue with some with with black block they remind me of weatherman uh back in 1969 angry for good reason but tactically it just didn't work uh and so in in this case i think you know i think there may be an appropriate use of uh non-lethal violence in other words not killing people like cops do to, 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 to black people, not killing, but there may be a point at, at a, in, in the development of any revolution when, uh, strategic violence is appropriate. I don't think that is true at the moment at all. And I certainly don't think it was true, uh, for, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos in, in Berkeley. I think that because what happens is the story becomes trashing and violence, not free speech. Yeah. That's, and you bring up another uh, point that I would like to explore with you, and I this is about violence and protest, because when Richard Spencer got punched, a lot of people took a lot of joy from that, and right, and I too believe that nonviolence is not the answer, but there is that sort of, and and a friend of mine posed this as a question. He's like. He's he's like, is it me or is is protest or the rules of protest imposed by uh, the sort of the more entitled? He's like a lot of rich white people are like, oh, nonviolence. But he's like Martin Luther King said that uh, protest is the voice for the unheard. And he's like, maybe we don't understand everybody's rage. So if they throw a garbage can through. You know, we don't know what their lives are that make them throw a garbage can through a window. And, and you know, in some ways, you know, the freedom of Southern Ireland was a violent protest, and so was the American Revolution. And I know those were had to be brought to those points, obviously. But is is there truth, do you think, in that? That, like, like we, I don't know the guy who punched Richard Spencer. I don't know how Spencer's actions or words has affected that man's life and what may have led him to punch him. Right, right, right. Well, again, I think what the, what that what you said is right. I think that uh, it it's a strategic question, right? At what point is but is is is, is uh, sort of a group, and we have to. I think you have to differentiate between group and individual too. Uh, but it's uh, you know I I have been thinking about this a lot, and I haven't come up with any absolute you know magic <laughs> bullet uh, to say all right th- th- this is right and this is wrong. Um, uh, I think that if you're I think, I think, okay, and uh, that if you are committing an act against another individual, that it's a question of where is it coming from your highest uh, uh, motives? Or is it simply coming from, for example, your personal history, uh, your rage at the moment? Uh, So, uh, you know, I I don't have a good... I don't have a good answer to that. I really don't. I, I think about it a lot, and I don't have a good answer. I know that uh, as I've gotten older, my attitude toward it has changed. I don't know if that's age or uh, uh, actual politics. I just don't know. I'm I'm uh, swimming a little in a sea of ambivalence on this one. I, you know, it's funny because while you were saying that, I went back to your question and of who does it benefit, which adds to it because it's like, Sure, it's joyful to see Richard Spencer, a, a hateful person, get hurt, <laughs> but and 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 that's wrong. I I recognize it's wrong for me to to have take, but it is like it's like who does that benefit? And in a way, does that benefit Richard Spencer because then he's got a, a angle to be like, look at these people, 
Exactly. That's exactly right. Who does it benefit? And also, what is the power behind it? For example, if you have an authoritarian state ranging from the Nazis to Pinochet in Chile to any of the dictatorships that exist now, violence against the oppressed is one thing. Right, but and the oppressed rising up is something else. But in, but again, individual violence is uh, I don't know. It's 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 as my fiance says, it's complicated. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Did now in in the in your circle was the weather underground? Were they so? How were they viewed among? Because was there a conflict with groups like that in, back in that day? Uh, the again, the answer is a little bit. At what point in the various groups' development did that exist? Uh, and if you look at the development of the Weather Underground, uh, you'll see that not initially, but as they became more and more militant. And remember, they they real they only engaged in property destruction. They did not they did not ever agree, engage in aggressive violence. The, uh, there were some groups who sort of imitated them afterwards in the in the eighties uh, who did. But then then the acts that they did became more and more controversial and difficult to. Um, to justify, even though I happen to be one of the people, for example, who who was able because of because because if you look at the inequality of the two sides, right? You have the Nixon administration, Nixon Kissinger administration, bombing and killing three million people in Vietnam, uh, defoliating the earth, poisoning it with toxic chemicals that are exist to this very day. And then you have we, we used to look at it as David and Goliath that that the, the weather underground were the day. To, oh well, um, you know, I'll destroy a bathroom in the Capitol here. I'll 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 destroy something else. I mean, it was very very tiny opposition. And to me, that was because it was symbolic. It was uh, legitimate, but at the time, uh, but no longer. You know, but now it's like I don't know what that would mean in the in the present context. I just don't know. Right. Do you uh, because uh, going back to the police because this was i i uh we uh, obviously have escalating police violence in this country and i feel like orangey is giving more power or is trying to give more power to the police and some and i don't know if this is paranoia but some people are like that's a slow build towards uh, you know uh, a police state like the more power they get the more he could use them to his benefit I think that's a that's a, a distinct possibility, and that's again why I go back again and again to resistance. I mean, resistance. The only how if there's if there's any way to uh, uh, get out from under a police state is to stop it from arising through mass. At this point, nonviolent resistance. Do you believe that he's that they are? shoving that that they are pushing to have an authoritarian state i i think that we have a lot of authoritarian personalities uh, in in power at the moment so it's certainly probable but you know i remember i don't know if you all if you remember may day May Day was a uh, actually a very successful um, uh, action that took place on May first, nineteen seventy-one, and May first, second, actually May third, second, first, second, third, uh, and it was uh, what we called massive nonviolent civil disobedience, and we blocked traffic. As fourteen thousand people were arrested, it was the largest mass arrest in U.S. history. We didn't succeed, and our our slogan was, "If the government won't stop the war, we'll stop the government." Now, we did not succeed in stopping the government, but we did succeed in making a distinct, real point about the massiveness of opposition to the war at a time when the war had been going on. It was, it was literally almost at the end, uh, and it had been going on for so long that people were frustrated that the weathermen were already, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, putting small bombs in bathrooms. So it was at a certain historic point when that tactic of massive nonviolent civil disobedience was absolutely appropriate, just as it was appropriate in the civil rights movement at a point at which 
you know, sit-ins, peaceful sit-ins had just, you know, had gone so far, but not as far as they needed to go. So I, I really think that you have to look at things, if you can, from a historical rather than a reactive uh, position and people use the word reactionary, but it's not. It's a reactive position, and I think that it's we we uh, uh, the resistance movement need to go beyond being simply reactive. Uh, that's a great po- point, and that's because I, I there was some protest here, and people uh, did exactly that, what you said. They stopped traffic, and I know some people who I know who are I very concerned liberal angry about what's going on and they're like oh man that's not cool and i'm like but part of me is like protest is about inconvenience and it's you and it's like if you stop traffic that affects i i i have no problem what is your take on that well my take on that is the problem is usually that the protesters haven't got the message out that that's why they're doing it so if you're at the front of the line in the traffic you see oh you you know you get a sense but if you're you know uh, uh, 10 blocks behind and you're stuck in traffic and you have no idea why that's happening, then you've got a problem. But the problem for the, for the protesters, for the dissenters, is that how do you do that? How do you, given the control of the media, how do you let people know who are going to be stopped, whose traffic is, uh, you know, who are going to be late, who are going to be this hot, and who are going to be frustrated and angry at the protesters, how do you let them know for the reason that you're doing, you know, that you're doing it? I hope someone uh, uh, can come up with a a good solution to that because then I think that stopping traffic is an excellent um, uh, tactic. Do you? I feel like in other eras there was more faces to movements, and I, I, I think with and I or I question with social media it seems that's a little blurred, and that was the point of Occupy is that there was no specific face attached to it, which helps in some ways I think because then there's not a person that can be taken down, um, but also. Like, I mean, there was plenty of people in in your generation that were faces and very outspoken. And I, I feel like I, I sort of miss that. Am I missing that there's not uh, as many faces to the movements as there once was? Well, no, you're not missing it. But there's a number of reasons for that. One is celebrity culture. Right. In other words, it was much easier uh, for people like um, uh, uh, Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, uh, uh, and other people in the Yippies for men. May, let's be clear, it was pretty much men in the Yippies or women who came along later, like Gloria or came along who uh, Gloria Steinem. There were it was certainly possible. It was reasonably easy to become a celebrity if you were a movement person back in my day. It's much much more difficult now. But again, I have faith. There are well, I can't name names. I know that there are a bunch of people in the movement who are in the current movement who are becoming more and more well-known and I the question to me it's like uh, capitalism you have to and profit you have to go along with it just because capitalism won well celebrity culture won do we therefore need to find a way to create our own celebrities or can we create an alternative a mass a group that will be equally as um, uh, looked up to and called on uh, as spokespeople for the current generation Um, I also just actually wanted to go back uh, for just a second to the issue of um, uh, uh, offensive and defensive violence. Uh, Like I said, I think offensive violence, I am not an advocate of offensive violence, but back in my day, the whole issue that uh, provoked us and that kept us uh, uh, moving was the issue of self-defense which I think the right has appropriated, but we absolutely felt uh, that we had the right to defend ourselves from offensive violence against us. And that came especially from the Black Panther Party and the black movement. And uh, it's too bad that we don't, I think we don't think of, our, think of it that way. For example, in Lincoln Park, because we knew there was a danger of police attack, we practiced uh, snake dancing and karate. Was it of any actual use? Not really, but did we feel empowered? Yes. So I think that the question of defending oneself from attack is 
a legitimate one for our movement to address. The self-defense is a legitimate one for the modern movement to address, whereas the issue of offensive violence, like punching some person or, um, you know, uh, things along that line, I'm not, I, I don't believe that at this point it's an appropriate tactic for us. So th- that was just a footnote to what I said earlier. Is there any other tactics from from the the 60s like like self defense cuz I like what you were saying there is there any other tactics that you think that we could uh be using today Yes humor 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 to me is actually the best uh tactic uh to, to and humor and holding uh, you know as you call them orangey up to ridicule that is exactly, and the more we can do that, the better off we are going to be. That is absolutely true. I mean, in other words, if you take things for present, if you take, uh, for example, what, one of the things that I, uh, again, wasn't there for, but certainly heard about, was uh, bringing the stock exchange to a halt by throwing money from the balcony. We threw money from the balcony. The, the stockbrokers, the greedy stockbrokers, grabbed at the money uh, and um, uh, brought it to a halt. And as a result, the stock exchange put up a, a, a barrier on the balcony, so that could no longer happen. I just read the other day that someone put a statue of a young girl facing down the Wall Street bull on Wall Street. That is a perfect example of using humor and satire to bring the system, to bring the, 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 the issues that the system is imposing on us to public consciousness. So that, I think, is probably, at the moment, we are absolutely in the satirize uh, uh, the system moment. And, and believe me, there's a lot of very creative minds out there who I'm sure can come up with a lot of ways to be satirical that are that are good enough to make it in the mainstream media and also in you know that's the kind of thing you can tweet out and other people will do right you can tweet you can put it on facebook it, it satire is i believe is absolutely the way that's the yippee way and it's very very relevant for today yeah i remember uh wavy gravy talking about how he would wear santa outfits at protests because he's like one no one's gonna beat up santa (laughs) right exactly and i just was like that's so brilliant and it's so simple and um i i do wish and i think there's some like the there are some clever signs i've seen that are very funny but i feel like i I do feel like this generation or, or it's not even this generation this movement could utilize a lot more humor and uh, yeah you can't take seriously what anybody says right so uh why not be satirical and i i firmly believe that you won't be defeated if you're having fun and i learned that in the last days of chicago it was scary but it was so much fun and i absolutely think that if we can if we can be satirical and we can hold the system up to ridicule in the yippee way that is uh um the way to go and i look to the pro the resistors and protesters now to come up with the best ways to do it in that sense i'm a i'm a historical relic right but there are people now who are deeply engaged in the struggle we don't have to be serious. We don't. We can have fun, and that, in my opinion, is the best way to uh, make things happen. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think of a, a lot of footage I've seen of, and there is a lot of smiling and laughing in a very serious era. And it's I like I, I if I think of Abby Hoffman, I usually think of him smiling. Like that's the footage I've seen mostly, and it is, and it is. Uh, entertaining to sort of like the thing you were saying about the money it's just like hilarious to throw money at the stock exchange and cause it's it that's joyous to me <laughs> exactly and the, I think the, the issue is if we're all sort of dragging around feeling depressed and beaten we're not going to be joyous we have to find the strength that we have to find within ourselves is the strength to be joyous in the face of adversity, not to diminish the problems, not to say that they're not happening, not to be in denial in any way, but to be able to be to diminish to to act joyously, to see the humor that we can in the face of adversity, and that is not an easy thing to do. Believe me. Right. I think that's uh, a a great place to uh, end this.
uh, I just before we part, I would like to if you have uh, you have a website and you have a number of books, anything where people could find find you your website and and follow and learn more about the work that you've done. Sure. Uh, my website address is yippiegirl.com. And I am also on Facebook at um, at Yippie Girl and also at Judy Gumbo Albert. Um, I tweet, but rarely. It just takes up too much time. <laughs> uh, Judy, thank you so very much for taking out the time to do this. Not a problem. I enjoy, and um, I'll you know stay in touch. Oh yeah, Matt Dwyer. He's a wonderful man. Oh yeah, good old Matt Dwyer. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Remember, also listen to Afterbirth and follow me on Twitter. Go to my website, thematdwyer.com. Thank you. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.